everyone. Welcome to iRelaunch, our video series. I am thrilled to interview today one of our favorite relaunchers, Zarna Garg. We have been following Zarna's career closely for almost two years. She has she began her career as a lawyer, took a 16-year career break, and at the strong urging and assistance of her oldest, her daughter Zoya, she relaunched her career as a stand-up comedian. Now, I had the opportunity to see Zarna perform live recently, and she was even funnier than her social media clips, which are really funny, and you should watch them. There was so much additional material, I couldn't stop laughing. And Zarna is followed by millions of people on TikTok and Instagram, which is an important element of her success. And with her fabulous delivery, improvisation, original material, she's a rising star in the world of comedy. Zarna and her daughter Zoya were interviewed on This American Life with Ira Glass. They were recently featured on the Tamron Hall Show. Zoya's college essay was published in the New York Times, and I mentioned that because the essay was about how Zoya encouraged her mom to relaunch. And it has a quote in there that we'll discuss that captures the relauncher mindset so many of us share early in the process. And we're also gonna get into the details of how Zarna relaunched her unusual career, how she uses social media to engage her and grow her community and her process in developing content. Zarna, welcome and thank you for doing this interview with us. If you can't tell, we are huge fans. Thank you, namaste. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Uh, I, I I mean, this is my community, so I'm so excited and thrilled to be here. Well, it's quite a privilege to have this conversation, but let's start at the beginning. Um, when I saw you perform live, you actually touched on your early career as a lawyer and why you left it. And I want to know if you can share with our audience what you said. Yeah, so I, I am a New York State licensed lawyer, uh, and I did practice for a little while. And, you know, when I had my first kid, first of all, the complications of being a mom, being an immigrant, not having a family support structure, all that was real. And also the the truth is I just wasn't a very good lawyer. I just <laughs> I and the thing is, you don't know when you go into law school that w what you will be like in the uh, in the real professional world. I, I think I, my heart was clearly not in it. And uh, I, I, you know, I just couldn't be that dispassionate, let's just say. Like, I was always like, you did it. Don't lie to me. People would come to me and be like, you know, we need a lawyer. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm going to take you to the judge myself. You, you need to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned very early on that that maybe the, the I didn't have the makings of a, of a good lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, I was in, inspired by Judge Judy, who I think is the ultimate boss of all things. Uh, you know, that's why I went to law school. But you really don't know when you go to school how you will be as a professional in that area. That that that's a revelation that you only find out after you're done with the whole thing. That's uh, but absolutely true. And and you know, I I don't know if there's a way to find out. Honestly, like I wish I had known. In hindsight, I wish I had known, but. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I do put my writing to use. I, I, I do love words and I love writing. So there's something in that writing persuasive space. It just wasn't meant to be law. Mm, interesting. Yeah. We, we can talk about that in a little bit. 
Um, first, I want to go to a quote from your daughter's college essay that just struck all of us on our team and we know our community. And it was this quote where she wrote, she could, I'm going to read it. She yeah. can make anyone laugh and I wanted her to be paid for it. Mom, have you ever thought about being a stand-up comedian? As she began dreaming of a comedy career, the reality of her current life as a stay-at-home mom sank in. She began to cry and told me it was too late for her. I could not bear to watch her struggle between ambition and doubt. And this, the language here, the struggle between ambition and doubt captures perfectly the conflict that so many of us feel when we're on the brink of committing to that relaunch and wondering if we can really do it. And I want to know if you can tell us a little bit more about that moment and then what happened next? How did you emerge from that? I mean, I, so I was a stay-at-home mom for 16 years and I believe me when I say that I know what being home all those years does to your self-confidence. It like strips you of your sense of self-esteem, of your self sense of self-worth. The world tells you that being a mom is the hardest job and the most important job, but you know the world doesn't value it. We know through their actions that nobody actually means those words. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So I knew that, like, I knew that I really desperately wanted to be back into the world of hanging out with adults, of putting on real clothes and doing all that. But I thought that the world has had moved on so far away from me. I felt like I was, you know, living under a rock has a whole another meaning when you're a mom living with little babies for mm -hmm. years and years. And all you're really focused on is the diapering and the baby food and the school and the soccer class. It feels like such a disconnect from anything that any real person out into the world is doing. Um, so uh, I know that sense of feeling and I think my kids kind of sense that that I, the level of dissatisfaction was through the roof. My mm -hmm. own close friends, my female friends from back then, back then tell me that I was like a caged tiger. Like I was just raging inside, like constantly, like, I can't believe this is what I'm doing. I want to do something else. I want to do, I want to earn money. Mm -hmm. I was like, I, I want to earn my own money. And it's, yes. you know, I've been blessed. I'm in a happy marriage. We have a home. We have a lovely home. It's not that. It's still, I needed to know that I could do it. Absolutely. That, that I can do it. For me, not for my kids. This is not like example setting for my kids because a lot of moms, are, oh, I want to be a good example. My whole life isn't about my kids and my husband. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do it for me so I could feel proud of what I could do for myself. I, I had felt that I did so much for my family. But like I helped my husband set up his business. I did everything I could for my kids, but I couldn't help but feel 16 years into it. But what have I done for myself? Mm -hmm. And the truth is that no one stopped me. Like no one ever said to me, don't do it. My husband was always a supportive guy. My kids are good kids. It's just the way the system is designed and the way I entered motherhood. It, I, I really, you don't realize how isolating and lonely it's going to be until you're neck deep in it. And then there's no getting out of it. Yes. So much of what you're saying resonates with uh, my own personal experience. I was out for 11 years um, and also what we talk about at I Relaunch in terms of 
the diminished sense of self that you feel when you are professionally disconnected for a long period of time, for all the reasons that you were stating, um, the ability to earn income. Um, many people are motivated financially, but also there are some people who are motivated not exactly for the purchasing power of the income, but the fact that you are earning your own money, just what you're saying, that validation. And in some, with some people who are in a relationship, they feel that it evens the playing field a little yeah. bit more. Making your I, own I, I, I can't, I don't think anybody can disagree with that. Whether you need it or not, the fact that you're able to make it and you have it changes the dynamic. There's no question about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so you're in that moment and then you emerge from it. So what what happened? Like what were the what was the first step? And to bring us back to that time. I mean, I was struggling. So I originally wrote a movie screenplay. I was trying to decide what to do. I, I knew going back to law was not an option, aside from the fact of I wasn't the best at it. I wasn't bad at it, but I didn't think it was my best work. Mm -hmm. uh, aside from that, the lifestyle of being a lawyer still would not have fit my life as a mother of three kids. Right. I was like, I still don't know how to make it work, even though my kids were so much older, because there just are responsibilities that I have that mean that I need to take the day off and the afternoon. You know what it is. So the kids are in school. They... These schools, they don't think twice. They'll plan a meeting at 10 o'clock in the, in the morning. You know what I mean? On a weekday. So I knew that was not an option. And I decided, you know, I heard a quote that I'm pretty sure is Mark Cuban's quote uh, from one of his Shark Tank episodes that really helped me and resonated with me. And I want to share it because it may help your audience. So he, he was explaining to an entrepreneur about how people struggle with what to do people who want to go to work, start a business, what to do. His advice was, why don't you look at what you're already doing? Mm -hmm. Instead of worrying about what you can do and what you should be doing, what you should be looking at is what do you spend your time doing now in, while you're not working? Because maybe your passions are buried in there and you yeah. just don't know it. And, and I thought that that was a very intelligent way to assess what skill set you might have that might not be so obvious. Like some stay-at-home moms love to cook. Like genuinely, that is where their heart is. I was never that mother. Mm -hmm. Some moms love to knit or bake or whatever their thing is, or they're writing short stories in their spare time. I was not th those people, but I was like, you know what? I love, I love watching Indian movies. Like that was my one guilty pleasure as a mom. Like every Friday I would wait, what's coming out this Friday? Like why hasn't there been an Indian movie in America that's light and happy? Like it kind of made me think, why do I keep gravitating to the movies that I left 30 years ago back home? Because that doesn't exist here. Mm -hmm. And then my wheels started turning. I was like, why, why, maybe I can write one. Why hasn't this been done? And I started digging in that space thinking, you know, how hard can it be to write one of these things? Like maybe no one's done it for, and maybe I could add some value there, you know? Yeah. And I started digging and I took like a couple of classes, not a whole degree or anything, just a couple of screenwriting classes in New York City. And of course, YouTube and Google are my best friends. I look up everything. 
you can get a degree in anything on YouTube. Like yeah. any, you name it. I, I, that's true. And I'm so over paying for education. I already like it took me 20 years to get out of debt for the degrees I had. So I was like, I cannot justify going for me. If if somebody else can, that's great. But I just couldn't bring myself. I mean, I had a kid getting ready to go to college. I was like, we cannot afford that. Mm -hmm. So I really did a lot of work and I wrote a screenplay. And that's really just wrote it out of my heart, a, a story out of my heart with a basic, the bare basics understanding of what a screenplay is. And that screenplay ended up winning the top comedy award at Austin Film Festival in 2019 which I found out later is one of the most prestigious writers festival. I, I didn't know, mm -hmm. but I found out. So mm -hmm. here's the reality of a stay-at-home mom who's not connected to anything. Even when you win the absolute top prize, no one knows what to do with you. you you're not part of the network. Right. You They yeah. don't know you. You don't know them. Yeah. I mean, they're polite. They wish you well. They congratulate you. And then that's it. So I collected my award. I went to my hotel room. I ate a big meal I ordered in. And then I came home. And I was like, I'm sure somebody is going to want to make it. I mean, it won the top prize. I beat out 11,000 scripts to win that prize. Wow. And nothing. Wow. Nothing. Zero. Zero interest. So I then started thinking, you know, what can I do to put my happy voice out there? And I then thought, you know, maybe the world just doesn't know what to do with an Indian woman who's writing a movie by herself in her apartment. So maybe I need to be proactive about putting my voice out there. And I really thought that if the right person heard me, my movie will get made. Mm -hmm. My daughter, meanwhile, was like watching me struggle. And she's like, why don't you just do comedy? So many comedians make movies. And I was like, what? That's not a job. Right. <laughs> You know, stand-up comedy, that's a job. And um, she then, you know, undertook this whole uh, project of helping me understand how everybody in our life has always thought I'm funny and that maybe there's something in that space to be done. And that's what her essay is about. And uh, she basically ganged up with my other two kids and challenged me to go to an open mic. Mm. She said, I think it starts at an open mic. And... I was like, okay, so I figured, you know what, for 16 years, I've been yelling at my kids, you should try something new, you should try you. Now they were like, oh, are you too scared to try something new? Mm -hmm. I was like, all right, you know what, I'm going to go, go to the open mic, do my thing. And then I'm going to come home and report back to them that I wasn't too scared to go. I did it. And now we move past it and figure out what to do next. Right. <laughs> but that open mic changed my life. Wow. I I went there not knowing what an open mic was at all. And uh, and the woman who ran it happened to be herself a mom of three kids. I, I often think back to that day and think that if it was not a mother of three kids who was running that open mic, would I have gone up on stage? Would I have had the courage? I'm not sure. Right. You know, because she was very warm and she was like, just go and say whatever you think is funny. And she made me feel like I could do it. Mm. And so I was like, OK, whatever. Like, I didn't even know what a joke was. And she's like, just talk about whatever you think is funny. You have five minutes. So I went up there and I did what I like to do. Trash my mother-in-law. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you about that later. 
<laughs> and you know and the whole audience started laughing and i was like oh my god they're actually enjoying the story and i remember the first thing i got up there and the first thing i said was like white people do this this is this is a job like it never had occurred to me that this is a job a paid position mm-hmm. and so that kick started the whole journey into comedy wow yeah. that's an incredible story uh so can you tell us then what happened on the social media side or or maybe yeah. is there another step in between or well so the, the yeah. open mic led to another open mic led to me reaching out into my community and saying look can, if you guys come i i can get 5 minutes on stage nice. and people just came out from all over all the women friends that i had made over all those years of staying home they all were so supportive they were so happy and joyous that they came out and but and i actually went from open mic to having my own headlining show within a year less than a year wow. but the the week after my headlining show which i sold out completely mm-hmm. the world shut down because uh, covid was covid my was covid around. and and we were we were we are in new york city so we were the epicenter of the epicenter it was like there was no talk of anything it was like the the close down the shutdown was real and the only interim step i'm going to talk about is because i think women should know this so even though my open mics were good i did well i learned how to write a joke i again ran back to google learned how to write jokes and all of it getting stage time in new york city is a war it's like mm-hmm. very difficult because every co- comedian from the smallest to the biggest is in new york trying to get stage time i realized very early on that no one's going to prioritize me i'm a 40 something indian mom they're not going to i'm not part of their ecosystem why are they going to put me on their stage so immediately within weeks of doing my open mic i started producing my own shows i was like you know what i'm just going to ask a club to give me their least desirable night like a tuesday night or a monday night mm-hmm. and i'm going to reach out into the community and see if like 20 people or 50 people want to come out and we have a show i started at the bare bottom by myself because i knew like sitting around and complaining about a system that won't include us is not going to get us anywhere you know what i mean yeah. and the system is not designed to include any of us moms have been shut out i have made my peace with it and i have decided that i'm going to carve out my own lane and i i really recommend that to everybody because waiting for people to come around is has never worked for me so you took the step of producing your own shows and getting whatever night you could and getting people to come and then um and i guess then the world shut down and then the- down and i was like it's over again for a second i'm i'm never recovering from this right you know first we thought it's closed for a week then it was a month then it's like months and months like it's over and my son my 14 year old who was 14 at the time yeah i have so many kids this is the one advantage of having all the kids is that they they know what's going on in the world uh-huh uh, he said to me why don't you put your comedy up on tiktok i'm starting to see comedians on tiktok wow. and I didn't know anything about TikTok. I thought it was 14-year-old girls like twerking. Yeah. <laughs> you remember that's what we first thought TikTok was. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, what am I going to do? He's like, no, mom. And I was so resistant. And he just took a couple of my tapes and cut them up himself and, and put them on TikTok. Oh. And uh, it was so filled with errors because he also didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. There were all these spelling mistakes. We, he just went with it. I said, do what you want. I, I had nothing to lose. I thought my career was over again. Right. And those TikToks, my jokes resonated in such a big way that within two days or three days, I had a million views and like a, thousands of followers. Wow. And, and because I didn't know what TikTok was, I really thought it's one of those things where, you know, you know, you travel to one of these countries where the currency starts at a million. I, uh, right. You know, like a loaf of bread is five million, right. whatever. So I was like, this must be one of those things, you know, like it just starts at a minute. And he's like, my son was like, no, mom, this is a real thing. Uh Like people are really resonating with your joke. I had thousands of comments. And then it kind of made me think, okay, maybe, maybe in the absence of live events worldwide, people are starting to connect digitally. Mm -hmm. People are starting to connect in a way that we hadn't seen before. Like real dialogue is happening on social media. And so I started posting more and like learning everything that I could about when to post, how to post, how to cut it, how to edit it, all of it. But all of it, I learned by myself and I made, I I continue to make a million mistakes. And I just don't overthink it Mm -hmm. because trying to be perfect hasn't helped us either. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, this story, uh, you're ta- it's it's really organic growth and you just being original and being daring and trying things and trying taking risks, uh, trying things you never tried before. It's incredible. You you had a million followers like so early on. And I know that you're so popular now on TikTok and Insta. So I'm just wondering about the, the business side of a stand-up comedy career. I'm feeling it's very complex and it's it is. dimensional. And do you do you have to have a team now to do it? Like, how do you manage the business side of what you're doing now that it's grown? So I have a virtual assistant and I've had one from the early days because I could barely keep my head above water even when I wasn't working with the three <laughs> kids. And so I knew, see, I came into this very clear that I'm an artist slash businesswoman that I have to make money. I don't have the choice. If I was a 22-year-old single person with lots of time, maybe it would be a different state. But I need to make money, and I was very clear about that. So luckily in the world that we live in, you can hire virtual help or like part-time. So I've had a virtual assistant all along because I was like, Every single person that comes to my shows, I'm going to stay, keep in touch with them. I'm going to build a mailing list because I was, I want them at my next show. I want them to tell their friends. I could clearly see what it's going to take to, to grow this. And I knew that if I grow my own audience, see, if you come to a network or a TV studio or a club or anywhere and say, I have an act and I have the audience that will buy the tickets. That's a much bigger sell, much easier sell than I'm good. Book me and take a chance on me. Mm-hmm. Right. So I was like, how do I go into situations as prepared as I possibly can so that I become undeniable? Like they have to take me. 
because anything less than that i didn't think anybody would take me to be really honest because the competition is so stiff there i knew that if i come in unprepared with no audience they're going to be like you've been doing this for 2 years get back in the line mm-hmm. the people who've been doing it for 20 years deserve that shot and i have nothing against the people who've been doing it 20 years but the the problem i have and you have and your audience will understand it's as if being a mom is a crime that you committed it's as if you were in a jail and that my work doesn't count for anything just because i wasn't out there hustling and doing open mics i'm not worthy of having is a real spot in comedy well mm-hmm. some of us couldn't have done the open mics some of us couldn't have put those years in and what about that what about all those years that i developed comedy sitting around the kitchen table with my kids you know because you you and i both know that moms are the ultimate comedians we have to yeah, make everything funny, funny. yeah listen the yeah. worst things happen on earth and we have to teach our kids and then like lighten their load yeah so yeah. i was very ready to go to war with that because i knew that everybody is going to be like why is she headlining she's only been doing it for a year as if i've been sleeping and getting a massage for 20 years well, <laughs> i my experience counts for something and i'm the first one to defend it yeah uh, well i uh, that that's a, it's a perfect way of putting it um and a few questions are coming to mind while you're talking Obviously you're a high energy person. I think about the high intensity of what you're talking about doing. You're constantly creating new material. You have to be really on. I just saw you present live. You have to be so on for when you're doing that performance and also afterward and before. And and then I'm just thinking about the vi- filming the many videos you you post many times a day. Like you're You must be working like many hours and I just wanted to know how uh how's your stamina and your energy level and how do you manage that? Uh right now I'm operating on pure adrenaline because I do love what I'm doing and I'm getting some traction and I don't want to lose it. The truth is that I I have paid for it with my health and that's not good. Mm-hmm. All my doctors follow me on social media and god if they see me holding a glass of wine I get a DM right away. Put that wine down. <laughs> Because you know it is true I I don't know how to do it all. Like I I'm not one of those moms that they show in the Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. You know Jessica Alba she's running, she's got a jacket, she's picking a kid, dropping a kid, she's cooking one lettuce with a glass of wine in her hand. That's not me. I I've lost sleep over it. I've lost functionality and one nerve on my arm over my TikTok. I mean, it's been brutal, but yeah. I want to do this. And I have complete clarity that I'm here and I'm here to stay and I'm here to win. So yeah. now that I just filmed, I just completed a big project, my uh 1-hour comedy special filming. Now I'm taking a little bit of a slower path and focusing back on my health. because mm-hmm. i do believe that we need to focus on our health it's not a good trade and uh, and i'm trying to st- now trying to find a balance but the last 4 years have been absolutely manic yes but there's no way around it like i talk to other entrepreneurs you know not moms even just other entrepreneurs and everybody has the common experience when you're trying to get something done that's that manic hyperkinetic energy is part of what gets things to the finish line 
Absolutely. And, you know, our audience includes people, men who take career breaks for childcare reasons and men and women take career breaks for a whole range of reasons. And entrepreneurship is sometimes part of that experience and sometimes it's part of it's the focus of the relaunch. So um, I hear exactly what you're saying. All right. So I just want to ask if you can uh, answer a question that we got from our relaunching community in India. Yeah. And they are asking, because we have a big real community in India, and they want to know if you think it's different for women in India versus, versus the U.S. or women in India and the U.S. to relaunch their careers. And what do you think is the number one reason holding them back? And and if you talk about your mother-in-law, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you more about that. Yes. <laughs> So I, I do think things are different in India and in America, and there are pros and cons to both. I think India has a humongous support system in, uh, in, in terms of available help that mm. we just don't in America. I mean, here you're just going to die under the load of laundry and dishes. You, that's a very real thing in America. And anybody who says teach your kids, they don't have kids. You, they don't know. <laughs> Usually it's the single people who offer you advice. Well, why can't your kids do it? But those of us who have kids know that that's not how it works. So I do think that Indian women have the benefit of the help that is just available. Mm. The con of it is the con side of being a woman in India trying to relaunch and trying to be an entrepreneur is that society is just not encouraging. Indian people in general, Indian community is so quick to declare you too old and too outdated. So anything you do, if you're if you're like 35, you'll be like, oh, what do you know? You've been home for 10 years. Whereas here in America, I do find that people want to hear a success story. They're rooting for your success. So if you say you want to do something, you're much more likely to hear somebody in America saying you should do it. This mm. is your dream. You should. Whereas in India, the, the society will be like, oh, make your kids do it. That's what women are told. You should teach your daughter or your more likely your son how to do it. You're too old now. You need to relax. You're 40 years old. They will act like you can't even move, like you're, you've been immobile. So pros and cons to both. And I would say that my suggestion, I think your question was, what was your suggestion? My suggestion to every woman everywhere, my message is the same now. We all need to recognize and understand with complete clarity that no one is going to help us. Mm. We have to help ourselves. If it hasn't occurred to you that the world, it's like open season on women in different ways everywhere in the world. If this hasn't hit home to you yet, you need to wake up. No one can help you but you. You have to say to yourself, my kid's not going to get the perfect test score and dinner is not going to be perfect and whatever. But if I don't put myself first, it will never happen. Mm -hmm. Even those of us who are in loving, committed relationships or have very supportive parents and all of that, none of them can do it for you. Not none. My husband is the most supportive guy ever. But he, he, the best he could do is say, whatever you want to do, I'll support. That's it. What else can he say? I have to come up with what is it that I want to do and how am I going to do it? So and now in light of all that's happening in the world today, I have an even deeper sense of like no one's going to help us. 
we are lucky if we have a community within ourselves but that's it yeah you know there's this sense of i i remember when i relaunched my career which was like over 20 years ago um but we hear this in the community it there's if you're in a relationship there's sometimes a sense about it's my turn it's my right. turn now to to prioritize myself i've been enabling everyone else's life around me for years yep. now it's my turn absolutely and we need to look at our own flaws listen us women we have our pro- the kid is not going to be perfect at all times and be, just be fine with it it's not just about your kids grades and soccer and uniform and how clean the the bag is like just get over it you mm-hmm. know what I'm, i've been that mom oh my god what if what, what if nothing the life went on life went on i went back to work i started missing all kinds of things in school and you know what life went on perfectly fine in fact my kids are better off for it to be perfectly fair they know that mom cannot be like rushing to school every 5 minutes to to prove to a system that she is a good mother mm-hmm. because a lot of what is designed especially in the united states the schools will even guilt you and they will guilt the mother now it's very rare for them to guilt the father it's like oh you know we're having this we're having that it's another bake sale it's this but you you can't be there for every bake sale that's just the reality and that's okay mm-hmm. yeah you're exactly right um all right there are a few things i want to ask you um as we're wrapping up um one of them is do you have any favorite jokes of your own i love my joke about the use of water uh because i joke about how you know how water is used in america and in india and that's one of my earliest jokes it kind of just came from a place of thinking about what i find exciting in america and thinking oh the showers are good <laughs> uh and i love that joke because it says a lot without being mean and without being preachy mm-hmm. it's designed to be fun but it has had such wide implications that you can't even believe i've had entire water foundations like big humongous charities feature that joke on their front page because people haven't thought about how they they fill entire bathtubs and sit in it while there is a there's a water crisis raging in the world mm-hmm. you know so i love it because i think it's smart i think it's fun and and it hits all my objectives I'm a comedian but I'm also a citizen of the world. I'm a woman, I'm a mom. I want to send a message but I want to do it the way I do it with fun, you know. That's great. And um can you talk about like does your mother-in-law know that you make fun of her? She does now. I mean, she knew when I started and I think like everybody else she thought it would be like a passing thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know no one expected it to become what it became that's what it is and she you know she watched me live uh, in new york city a few months ago and she couldn't believe how much fun the audience was having <laughs> and i and the, the good thing is that i actually have an excellent relationship with my mother in law <laughs> so i told her i said you know if you and me and our dynamic is like making people laugh through a pandemic when people are actually dying Mm-hmm. what bigger blessing is there so she knows and now she gets in on it now she's like make fun of my sister make fun of her make fun of my neighbor now she's like all over like let me give you more ideas 
Wow. That, I love that. I've always been wondering that ever since I watched so many of your TikToks and, and yeah. would say something about your mother-in-law. So now I know the background. Thank you. Um, all right. So um, I guess two more questions as we wrap up. One is, um, they're kind of the same question. Is there anything you'd go back and tell your 30-year-old self that might have changed something about your current tra trajectory? And also, what's your number one piece of advice for relaunchers or people anticipating career break? Maybe it's the same, maybe it's different. Yeah. Uh, I would tell my 30-year-old self that I wish I had taken a side hustle more seriously. That losing myself entirely, entirely 100% in motherhood was a mistake for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not judging those who do it. But but if you if I had had one foot in the door somewhere, maybe the the maybe getting out from under it would not have been the big struggle that it was. But that said, like life works its way out the way it does. And the one piece of advice I would give to anybody who's relaunching is that come into whatever you choose to do with complete clarity that you're coming in for the business. Mm -hmm. because what I find is that when you're in a second act, like what relaunching is, often people think, oh, it's a hobby. It's a backup. It's not. It's a business. Like I charge money for what I do and I offer no apologies for it because I'm here to make money and of there's course. no shame around it. And there's as so and keeping that as as a North Star and as a guiding uh, moral compass in your brain really focuses you on how you deal with people, the projects you take on, the projects you decline. Like there could be a hundred things that are fun and interesting, but that are not going to lead to revenue. So mm -hmm. you have to be disciplined enough to say, right now, I'm not having fun. It's not fun and games. I'm building something. And I need to focus on building that because you need that much concentrated energy to get this rocket ship off the ground. Once it's off, you may have a little more leeway into what you choose to do and how you allocate your time. But to but to get back into it, you need that extreme discipline in my experience. I'm so glad that you're emphasizing the business side of entrepreneurship because sometimes it's romanticized and this is oh. the reality. Uh, so that's, that's really important. And thank you for including that. Uh, how do you decide how much to charge or how have you decided? So you start, I think, start with, uh, start with free. I know I did Zoom shows for free uh, during the pandemic for first responders. Mm. I figured, you know, it'll keep my craft alive. I'll learn how to do the shows. If it's free, the pressure is off. But the more I did them and the more I knew I could do them, the price went up. Then ah. it became, okay, I think I can get away with this much. This much seems reasonable. How much is one or two other people? You can't, you know, the business school will tell you, do a whole analysis on how much everybody starts. That's unrealistic. Some of it is just your gut. But I think the smart way to do it and to honor your gut is to start at the bottom and work your way up. And, and the rule for me is every three shows I do at a certain price, if three shows go well, the fourth one is a higher price oh. because now I have improved my own skill set. I have improved my own ability to do something. So I feel I deserve a higher price. Mm, love that. All right. Uh, wrapping up, how can our audiences find out everything about Zarna Garg? Performances, social media. You mentioned a, a comedy special that's coming up. How do we find out? 
Yes. So my website, zarnagarg.com, has all the information very neatly laid out. And my social media, I'm very active, as you know, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, and TikTok. It's all everywhere. I'm at zarnagarg. And you can feel free to reach me through my website, through my contact page, Insta DMs. Any, I'm, I'm very approachable. And I like to be there for uh, any, especially people who are trying to get back into the workforce. I have a particular empathy because I've been there. So mm-hmm. anything you want to know, you can reach me and me or my office will get back to you. And uh, yeah, I wish everybody well. Just there is there, there's no magic bullet. You just have to do make a mistake. No one cares. Make <laughs> a mistake. Try something else. No one cares. Wow. I love it. Yeah. All right. Sarna, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Namaste. Thank you. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we talk about return to work strategies, advice, and success stories. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, CEO and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. I hope that all of you who are listening who are relaunching will check out our resources on irelaunch.com and make sure that you sign up for our job board and make sure you're on our mailing list. You will get our weekly return to work report, which is full of opportunities specifically for people who have taken career breaks. Thanks for joining us.